Hi, everybody, and welcome to All This and the Oscars 2, awardsdaily.com's semi-frequent podcast on the hope-to-happen-someday Oscar race. My name is Sasha Stone. I run the website awardsdaily.com. I'm here with our two editors, Ryan Adams and Clarence Moy. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey, gang. Hey, gang. Gang. How are you guys? Well, you know, it's COVID time. Hanging in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's COVID. Uh, some days I think, like, I'm going to snap. Like, this is not, yeah. I can't keep going. Like, like this is not going to, this is a really bad place to be for all of us, you know? It's surreal. Like, I feel like it's been five months now, and, I, and, and I'm working from home regularly. And we're very fortunate, of course. So, you know, very white privilege and all that. I mean, I, we both have... My wife and I both have jobs where we can work from home and we are not impacted like so many of the mm. um, people in the service industry and restaurants and, and retail are. But I'm just sitting here and I'm like, I feel like I'm on a, a five month vacation and I'm just <laughs> working at home. It's, 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 you know, it's, it, it, it's bizarre, but it's, it's also not that horrible. I, I just, I vastly prefer working from home to actually being around people. No, I know. And I, I do work from home and I'm mostly a shut in, but I, the, the low level anxiety that this is causing me, this whole scene, like everything that's happening, you know, that, that is really happening versus happening online. You know, like if you, yeah. if you read the news online and you spend a lot of time on Twitter and you, you get a perception of what life is like, especially during COVID when it first broke. And then you get outside and you go to a market or you drive around and you, you do feel more of a sense of normalcy. Like, okay, mm -hmm. we can handle this. We're wearing masks. We're social distancing. We're washing our hands. You know, it's not that bad. Like, it's okay. We're a community. We can stick together. But I feel like our country is so divided in so many different ways that like this isn't the time to be divided when you're having a pandemic. Like this is the time when we all should be on the same side and on the same page. You know, we shouldn't be fighting about wearing masks at this point. You know, it just shouldn't even be happening. Like, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, 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 so it's, it's all the politics stuff, but so you found out some pretty grim news about the Oscars. I did, and this was actually um, reported by Pete Hammond in Deadline, um, where you know the Oscars are still happening. So let's let's not say well, that it's not Well, we think. Who knows? We right? think. Yeah, knock on wood. Um, but it looks like the Academy is going to cancel or has canceled any in-person events through the end of the year, through the yeah. Oscar season, which basically means. You know, if you're like me, if you're on Twitter, you don't live in L.A., so you're on Twitter, you're, you're reading websites and you're looking for any kind of information that comes from these in-theater Academy member screenings. Like right, somebody right. will always say the everybody stood up and they gave seven standing ovations to Brad Pitt from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> so, you know, Brad Pitt's going to win an Oscar because right. they stood up seven times. None of that is going to happen. There will be no in-theater member screenings. There's already, I think they've already said there's no campaigning events. There's no parties. It's just screeners and that's it. It's, they're watching everything at home. There's there's no going to, there's, there's not going to be any um, event for Sasha, you and I to miss that uh, Colleen um, Camp hosts for Parasite. <laughs> Where apparently everybody went but us. <laughs> we could have gone and we totally, we totally dicked out. Like we just didn't even go. We should have. I think those things can be, those things can be really influential when there's something like a filmmaker 
the director or one of the, or the a group of the stars introducing a movie and there's just a Q&A afterwards. I think those can really help endear an audience and the audience would be the voters in this case. It can help endear the voters to a movie more when they can make a personal connection to the movie like that where you get to meet and greet with the filmmakers although you know they're they're friends with filmmakers anyway but they it it it, it gives you more of a personal connection to the film instead of just seeing it on a screener that's the most impact that i think it's going to have on on voter behavior mm-hmm. but yep. it's very true what you say clarence about we also tried to read the tea leaves by hearing what people heard and saw when they would go to these events and and report back to us um about the the vibe uh, the ambiance in the room and the and the aura of of what was exactly. what they felt the audience was feeling. So we're going to be missing that. Yeah, and plus, you know, in the handful of parties that I was able to attend around the Globe season, and Sasha, you've known this for years, and you've talked about this for years. But you know, all of these voting members, they go to these things, and they all stand in corners and talk to each other, and that's mm-hmm. where the consensus is built. That's where you know, oh, have you seen this? Yes, I've seen that. I love that. I love this. Those aren't going to happen anymore because there's nobody. They're not going to be together that much. I mean, and you know, there there'll likely be emails and phone calls and whatnot, but there will be no parties where they're going to and standing there and 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 trying to build build that consensus that eventually just pays out. Right, and I, mm-hmm. I should say that I I've gone to some of these where, to an embarrassing degree, it didn't amount to any votes. Like for instance, probably the most high profile one I went to was. And the best one I ever went to was the one for Inside Lewin Davis that was hosted by T-Bone Burnett. And the Coens were there. Mm-hmm. Barbara Streisand was there. like, And they were performing songs. And it was like, the I brought my, my ex-boyfriend who died of a heroin overdose to that. But um, uh, <laughs> I know, and he had so much fun. And he got so mm-hmm. drunk. And like that was the greatest thing about going to that thing is that he was with me. But... Um, but anyway, the the uh, but he died because COVID, and you know, isn't it just so great? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Everything's oh coming gosh. up. Roses. I mean, we're, 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 no. he didn't die of COVID, but he got so depressed during COVID that he went back on heroin, and then he ended up killing himself with an overdose. Uh. But um, but that that thing didn't didn't amount to squat for inside Lewin Davis at the Academy, and and then the other one I mm. remember was the incredible Beasts of No Nation, which I championed really hard, and I went to a screening that was hosted, I think, by Ben Affleck, mm. Carrie Fukunaga, um, you know, who's super hot by the way. But anyway, so he he had this uh, screening. It was a really high profile, celebrity packed screening and you know surely i thought that would have amounted to something idris elba nomination nope nothing so it only can take you so far but for instance i don't think parasite would have won best picture and best director had bong joon ho not been everywhere right he was everywhere right mm-hmm. yeah if a, if a director is charming and yeah. can and can make that connection with with the with the small groups over and over and over small groups or groups of any size, uh, day after week after week after week, running up to the Oscars, it's going to make a difference because it's going to push. Even even if, it's, if the race is close, it's going to push one movie ahead of the other. You said that about Tom Hooper. I never really saw that Tom Hooper was that charming, but apparently he was, and he was really good in those Q and A things. That and he was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And another director who, was, whose movie um, was everyone's favorite. David don't play that. David Fincher don't play that game. Mm-mm. And he's not going to. He doesn't want to. And he doesn't need to. But Tom Hooper did. And it, 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 if it made a difference in 
200 votes, then maybe those were the 200 votes that tipped, tipped the balance. Yeah, people just thought, I mean, and I, I revisited King's speech, you know, because I'm writing about 2010 right mm -hmm. now. And so for me, it's like, I'm going to shoot my wad here because I'm actually probably going to write this into the podcast. But for me, 2010 is like somebody hands you a plate of food and, and like everything on it is like vegetables, and broccoli and salad. And then somebody hands you a piece of like strawberry cream cake. It's like, <laughs> that's a social network for me. Like you look at the cake and you're like, I want to eat the cake. Like I don't even want to wait <laughs> because it's such an enjoyable experience to watch that. Like, I don't even want to watch anything else. I only want to watch that movie. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I go into a lot of that, why, why it was that the King's speech, you know, was so much more emotionally accessible to people at the time. And that's really all they can do when they're voting for something is, is, it's right now. It's about how they feel right now. And, and, you know, the King's Speech isn't a terrible movie. Slumdog Millionaire isn't a terrible movie. But these aren't movies that are, like, really going to stand the test of time. They're movies that are, you know, great in the moment. And people really feel them. And that's fine. I mean, we're just not talking about, like, a timeless, great film when we're talking about Best Picture, usually. Right. Um, but and that's, that's part of Weinstein's creepy genius is that he he was a is it what we, we we did a little bit of a political chat before we started the movie podcast and and we were talking about how trump can crystallize um he can dumb he can dumb down things for for a group of people in a in a handful of words like four or five words and that's what they did with the king's speech it's the movie that you feel right. oh, yeah. and they did that intensely as as in in opposition to the movie that they felt like was maybe a little bit chill a little bit cold and a little bit aloof mm, yeah. and that they were running against. And that was a great, that was a great slogan. And it was a great strategy, but it, and it was totally just a, a slogan aimed at uh, awards voters. I think I yeah, feel like, you sure. know, it wasn't. Uh, and, um, and, and it the made thing a difference. Of, and the thing about the King's speech is that it really, speaking of best actor, by the way, we're going to be talking about best actor in a minute of the, of the sad, sorry state of the, <laughs> of the Oscars, which is like a, a, like a fish skeleton after someone has eaten, <laughs> eaten a whole fish, but we'll try to get through it. But, um, the Colin Firth, like that performance is so good that it still holds up. Like I, you know, I teared up watching him and you really do root for him and you really want him to give the speech. And I have a voice. You know, like you're really wrapped up in this idea of this guy making good. And I, I think that he just, you know, since it's an academy, you know, the industry really went for the King's speech because they could just, they were on his side. And so if they were on his side, they were going to vote for the movie, just like with Ben Affleck. Once you get a voting body on your side and they're rooting for you, like that's usually gold for the academy. And that's what happened with Bong Joon-ho. He was really just the guy everybody was rooting for by the end nobody's going to sit there and root for sam mendes you know what i mean or even quentin tarantino but bong joon ho yeah you had that thing about him that people were rooting for him it was, mm. seemed like a long he shot definitely had that thing about him yeah, yeah. he's charming he's i mean i've said before and i know that it it's probably sounds horrible to people who who genuinely do like a king's speech and i don't have anything really against the movie but i it's a struggle for me to get through movies like that and i've said before that it took me three nights to get through it i saw it on the screener <laughs> and i just had to stop i would just had to watch like 40 minutes and then quit and then come back and do another 40 <laughs> minutes the next night and i finally you know plowed through it but it's i don't i'm not those movies are not for me yeah. i think for me i thought that the that the oscars 
the best actor for those two years in a row should have gone in the opposite direction. I thought that, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the actor in King's Speech, I can't even think. Colin Firth. Yeah, Colin Firth. I thought he should have won for a single man. And then I thought that right. um, Jeff Bridges should have won for uh, um, True Grid instead of Crazy Heart. I thought that, those, but they swapped. They swapped years and right. that's fine. They both ended up with their Oscar. But I, I thought that, it's for me, I thought that they they won for, both of them won for the wrong performance yeah. in 2009 and 2010. <clears throat> yeah, and the um, if you're listening to this and you haven't started listening to Gold Tripping, you should because the next episode, which will be up like Tuesday or Wednesday, is going to be about this year. So if you want to hear a little more deeper analysis on it, um, I'm going to go into it as much as I can, trying to talk about other movies besides The Social Network, which is obviously one of my all-time favorite films. All right, so you want to seg into to Best Actor. So I have two different articles that are looking at Best Actor, and both of them are assuming that there's actually going to be an Oscar race. Um, I, we don't even know. Like, I, you know, I have no idea. Like, all I can tell you is that from my initial impression of how this is going right now, it's sort of like streaming is a deep, empty well, and that when a movie releases, it just... Drops to the end of the well and nobody cares. Like first cow, over, done. Yeah. The Ben Affleck movie, The Way Back, over, done. Not even paid attention to. Da Five Bloods has a little bit of traction because of Delroy Lindo, and I'd say that he's got a pretty good chance of lasting through to the end of the year based on his strong performance and also based on the sort of heavy, heavyweight status of Spike Lee, and the movie overall. So I would put Delroy Lindo in my, I should, I'm going to update the contender tracker, which I haven't done because we're all just sort, still sort of in shell-shocked mode. But, um, but I would put him on there for sure of the movies that have been seen so far. I think he gives a great performance. He should mm -hmm. be noticed and paid attention to. And we've talked about this before, but uh, Anthony Hopkins, it screened at, uh, the father screened at uh, Sundance. Um, and Anthony Hopkins came out of that very well regarded. Mm, mm -hmm. In the past, if it was a regular Oscar season, Anthony Hopkins would have come out of Sundance with that buzz, right? So then he would be mm -hmm. brought back to town by a publicist, and he would be taken around to interviews, and he would be hosting parties at, like, Chateau Marmont with, like, really incredible, like, Jodie Foster or whatever would come out. And he'd be doing Q&As at the Academy, and they'd be showing the movie and stuff, but... Now, how do you bring that back? I mean, I'm I'm just, you know, I'm what I'm seeing in the future, that's my job to see in the future, is I'm seeing a kind of conversation that goes on on film Twitter and a conversation that goes on among film critics and a conversation that goes on to try to build buzz and to try to shape the race. And the way that that race is going to be shaped is going to be more about people like Guy Lodge, David Ehrlich, Glenn Kenny, um, you know, and the, the people that kind of, they're very high status tweeters. And so they've got like huge followings. And so they're going to be kind of the tastemakers, I would imagine on how the critics awards go. And they're all going to be kind of trying to push the Academy in a certain direction, which is what they do anyway in a given year. And the only sort of counter to that is usually the industry stuff that goes on the Q and A's, the screenings, the celebrity events, um, but, you know, you always have that conversation on Twitter, but now you're only going to have the conversation on Twitter, right? So that means that any contender 
that comes up, any part, is going to be subject to the tribunal of woke, right? So it's <laughs> going to be, is the performance kosher? Like, does it, is it okay? Is it offensive in any way? Is the actor kosher? Is he he offensive in any way right so those things will be checked off does it make people feel like they're moving in the direction of the obelisk of woke i mean does it does it help like for instance we know delroy lindo is is okay right like he passes the test he gave a great performance he's in a film by spike lee he is you know black actor he's green lighted all the way down the line right anthony hopkins in the father, like I haven't seen the movie yet. Okay, so Ben Affleck's probably okay, but you know, again, I haven't seen that movie, so I haven't really figured out what the take will be. But then we have all these other movies coming up, and this is what we were talking about a little bit earlier with Ansel Elgord, who was embroiled in a controversy earlier. Um, <clears throat> but um, <laughs> so so there's uh, there there are all these different actors that are potentially coming up. And not just the actors are going to be kind of scrutinized, but the parts they play and the movies that they're in, right? Like, is it a white guy movie? Is it only directed by white guys? Is it only starring white people? Is that going to be a problem? You know, um, are people going to feel like they need to fight for the movies that aren't driven by white characters and white narratives? And the reason that I bring this up is only because the conversation is going to be 100%, unless publicists can figure out a way around it, which they might be able to, you know, I, I just, I don't know, but I, th- I feel like it's going to be happening on blogs and on Twitter, and the consensus is going to be built first with the critics who are going to be kind of conversing about all these movies and deciding on which ones they want to push. Somehow the publicists are going to have to round up industry voters and get these movies to them. Um, and you know, we've never done anything like this before ever in history. So we really don't know how it's going to go. You would imagine that a movie like Tenant with John David Washington is going to have a good chance of being at the top of the pile. We think that Mank with Gary Oldman, because it's directed by David Fincher is going to be at the top of the pile, at least for Academy voters. I don't know about internet hive mind. Sophia Coppola has a movie. This year too. I mean, if I don't, again, whenever we mention any of these movies, except for the ones that are like we know for sure are going to open, we're not even sure when or if all of these movies will open. So this is all really speculative. But I'm just thinking if they they can't they can't apply the the woke um, metric to every category because simply put, there just aren't that many movies this year that 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 that. Uh, fit the requirements of being woke enough. There, most of the movies that are the, like the top t- ten or fifteen movies I can think of, they don't they don't feature all black casts or except for the the Five Bloods is the only one I can think of. What yeah. other movies are there? So there's one coming out that I just posted the trailer for this week uh, on the site. It's called Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, they just did a teaser. It's from Warner's. Um, mm-hmm. It's about Fred Hampton who was murdered by the FBI. Okay. Um, and betrayed by an, a, uh, a petty criminal who um, basically struck a deal to get out of prison and then infiltrated the Chicago party, Black Panther Party. Oh, um, okay. Daniel Kaluuya plays uh, Fred Hampton. Oh, and right. Yeah. For the, uh, the teaser looks amazing. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, if I, I assume that they're going to release that in the beginning of next year, because, again, the teaser came out here in August. Um mm-hmm. 
and he looks amazing. I think that's going to be a very, very strong contender. Okay, so there's that, and there's the, the fly bloods, and then there's also we talked about last week uh, respect. So there's there are those three, and so but again, so there's there's can't... Denzel Washington for Macbeth, right? If it comes, okay. yep. If All they right. finish it, if they finish mm. it, we don't know if they will. God damn, this is going to be a fucked up year. But um, but here's how it goes on Twitter for anything related to cancel culture and and uh, and the woke thing is is that it 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 it's like a little bit of a like a wildfire, right? Like one person gets offended and then a bunch of people kind of catch on to it. It's a, it's actually mass hysteria. Like humans have mass hysteria in our DNA. This is what we you know this is how we evolve to sort of protect ourselves against. Um, things that are dangerous in our in our tribe right so for instance if if there is a someone reports that there's a, a a snake in their you know in their sleeping area and then if that fear can spread really quickly throughout the tribe they can all get away and maybe more people will survive and create offspring and then that tendency will stay in their epigenome <laughs> not to get too technical about it but that thing that mass hysteria impulse that we have is ignited on social media all of the time and we haven't quite figured out how to deal with it I and mean, how you know it's mass hysteria is that it evaporates pretty quickly in like two days once it's over mm. it just takes time for it to move out of our system and to realize that it's not something we need to really be afraid of but it's really driven by fear Right, like the the whole thing with the New York Times and Tom Cotton, that was a really good instance of mass hysteria. So something happened that freaked people out, and then one person said they were worried that it put people's lives in danger, and then that fear spread, and then it spread, and then it spread, and then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it turned into a full-blown episode where something had to be done about it, right? So that's the case in almost every situation on Twitter that happens that ends up in somebody losing their job or a film being like Green Book or whatever it is, you know, um, Ansel Elgort, that whole thing went down in a very similar fashion. People were suddenly so afraid and so scared that he was like a rapist that they, that it spread and it spread really quickly through a lot of people. And, you know, obviously I became one of the, <laughs> the villains in that scenario, but but the, the impulse is always the same and it's not gone away and it's going to be here through Oscar season. So, for instance, if any of these people involved in any of these movies is called out for any reason, and it can be anybody, right? In Salem, it was proved that like even the highest upstanding people of the community could be accused of being witches. And the mm -hmm. more, in fact, the more high status they were, the more it scared people because they felt like if it was, could be them, it could be anybody. It could be anybody you know, you know? So it could be Tom Hanks. I mean, it literally could be anybody. There's nobody who's immune to it. There's nobody who they would say, even Obama could be accused of something. And if mass hysteria kind of ignited, they would people would be convinced by the end of the day that this thing about him was true, sort of how you get to the guy bringing the gun to the pizza place to shoot up the supposed pedophile ring that Hillary Clinton was running. That's what it is, you know? That's how it grows. So I'm looking at all of these and I'm thinking any of them could be potentially. Okay, I see what you mean. I, I was okay. looking at it from the aspect of which movies um, would 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 tick off all the, the right boxes, but you're looking at it in terms of which movies might be in jeopardy because they might tick off the wrong box. 
I don't even know. Like I'm just yeah, looking I mean, at it yeah, going. And, and I it's have hard no to say. I, I, I do want to say, I do want to do it instead of just only speaking about the movies uh, with um, diversity that have black characters and black actors in them. We should also mention, of course, Mulan. And there's another movie um, that um, Brad Pitt and Didi Gardner produced that's called Minari about a Korean family that moved to Arkansas. And yeah, so there's, yeah. we should also mention, I mean, I just want to say, just to be inclusive, that it's not only the, not only movies that involve black people that, that would fulfill a diversity requirement. Right. Because obviously, yeah. All right. Just want to make that clear. No, and thank you for doing that. But yes, it's true that this year, like every year, it's mainly white actors we're talking about. We're talking mm -hmm. about, um, well, let's say we have Del, Del Lindo and we have, um, uh, we have, uh, Tenant, we have John David Washington. So those two seem, and, and Denzel Washington. So right off the bat, you've got three potentially strong black performances by black actors. So mm -hmm. that's potentially, but then you've got um, two slots, let's say two or three slots left. So that's not a lot of slots, right? <laughs> so mm -hmm. who do you got? You got uh, Anthony Hopkins and The Father, you've got Tom Hanks in News of the World, and you've got Gary Oldman and Mank. And then you've mm -hmm. got potentially um, Matt Damon in Stillwater. But I'm not seeing how people are going to, like, make room for Matt Damon. I just don't know that that's going to happen. I wouldn't count on it. Um, mm -mm. I wouldn't either. It so, doesn't seem. Um, well, you've got Daniel Kaluuya in uh, Jesus right. and the Black Messiah. You've got yeah. um, Bill. And you've already mentioned this, Ryan, but the, uh, the Sofia Coppola is on the rocks. Um, right. that looks like it's done filming. So Bill Murray is in that he plays, um, he's trying to reconnect with his, uh, oh, right. okay, estranged yeah, daughter. The name of it. Yeah. 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 That's that, and yeah. That rings a bell. Right. Uh, uh, interesting about Gary Oldman and Mank. Um, he sort of weathered that storm already there. He's a controversial person and he has controversy and things that people have raised questions about in the past, but he, he weathered that storm and was able to overcome it. And, and any one best actor, of right. course, it's a different kind of role, yeah. but still, right. it's and, like he's already he's think, already bit trial by fire. He's 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 made it through, right? And, and there's, so we know that he's sort of. And there's zero <laughs> chance Ansel Elgort's going to get nominated. He will not get nominated. I remember when um, Green Book came up and uh, Viggo Mortensen was going. You know, he was like a really strong contender to win Best Actor that year. But he was, he said the N-word out loud. But even though he was saying it in the context of this is a bad word you shouldn't say, just the fact that he said it anyway was enough yeah. to put him in the category of he's a racist. Viggo Mortensen, mm -hmm. like Granola Cruncher, Bernie Bro, like he was considered a racist and they hated that movie. And so, I mean, that's how things can go. But usually you have to counter the hysteria online, you have audience um, reaction and you have um, industry screenings and you have star power. I'm not sure how they're going to get around this. What I imagine is going to happen, my guess, is that famous bigwigs in Hollywood, like the guy who runs the Ross House. Clarence, did you ever go to the Ross House? For any I of did this? not. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the Ross House is like this incredible house, like in the Hollywood Hills where they run these fancy screenings in this rich guy's screening room. And I saw like knives out there and they have like it catered and meal and it's always exclusively Academy screenings. So they're going to have those. I'll bet you anything. They just won't have them at the Academy, but like Colleen Camp or whatever, she's just going to arrange these social distancing mask screenings of these movies. Mm -hmm. I'll bet you. 
And so that's going to continue to happen for the really high profile movies that are getting paid a lot of money. But basically what we're looking at is the very early stages, the critics are going to shape the race and the bloggers, people like us. We're going to be advocating and shaping the race and deciding who the initial pile is. And then the voters will look at that pile and they will, you know, accept or reject those choices. And in the meantime, the publicists will be working really hard behind the scenes to push on their end somehow to get through to voters. Let's, if the Oscars are still going on, like there's always a good chance that they will just cancel them. But they didn't cancel the Emmys. So. No, they did not. Right. Yeah. That will be 100% uh, virtual. And the Emmys will be like a, a test case, I think. I think they'll look and see how, the, how, the, how, the, how that worked for the Emmys and whether or not they want to try to emulate that or whether if it turns out to be a disaster, then it's going to be, they'll think, well, okay, maybe, I don't know what we can do. If the Emmys couldn't do it, then how can we? Yeah. But the exciting thing for me is that it feels like the early days of Oscar when I was doing my website mm. when mm -hmm. I knew that I had the opportunity to kind of be really loud and obnoxious about the race and say like you have to pay attention to this you know and I have that opportunity again this year because the machine is just stalled and sure there's going to be a lot of people doing that like Vanity Fair and you know that wasn't doing it when I did it in the New York Times uh, Kyle Buchanan has a huge platform at the New York Times to push any movie that he wants he tends to be a little bit um, in my opinion, in the sort of the woke category of pushing in terms of inclusion and diversity, which is great, you know. And so he'll still continue to do that. Um, but you're going to need voices on the other side of it that are just like, you know, talking about, you know, speaking to Academy voters in a different way of like, you know, outside the realm of like, how can I say it without sounding... Um, like I'm discouraging inclusion because I'm not. I'm just saying like there is an element of the Academy Awards that is still about like the quality of the work. Mm -hmm. And so if you can still talk about these are the great performances, you can decide to choose them or not. But these are the performances that are noteworthy and that you should be paying attention to. You have to watch these. And I I'm glad you said that. I mean, I was thinking the same thing when you two were talking earlier about the fact that because there are not going to be any get-togethers or, or academy screenings or any parties, that people will not be able to get together in confab and have any sort of, you know, chit-chat about and form a consensus. It's going to come down to individual people sitting alone in their – or not alone with, with their family in their living rooms watching right. movies and deciding mm – -hmm by themselves, whether or not they like a movie or not, the old-fashioned yeah. way. Right. Yes, instead of, instead of getting together and talking about, you know, what's hot and what's not, right. it's going to be what do I like and what's when what do I not like and what's really good and what's not. And that's going to be and harder so I, for them because that's going to be, like, for instance, there are so many movies that just would not have done as well if they had to be played that way because they really need an audience and they need the magic mm -hmm. of stars, you know? Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, we saw... We saw some um, mixed reactions from the Emmy nominations because you know the all the the major Emmy campaigning season fell during the beginning of the of the COVID pandemic, so everything was shut down. So there were none of these events, and we saw some things that we felt like w in a traditional year would have been pushed by the mm -hmm. studio, and there would have been events held around it, something like the Great, um, which is the the take on from the the right. writer yeah. of the um, of the favorite. Um, the take on Catherine the Great, um, that just kind of tanked because we felt like Hulu didn't really campaign it. They didn't know how to campaign it, and it came out in May, 
and it just didn't resonate. But then you had something like Unorthodox, which is this very quiet, independent, um, limited series that dramatically overperformed. So it's, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it just, it, it, there are some things, you, there are some instances where you can prove that this lack of campaigning hurts things, but then it does, for some reason, something else comes through all of the noise and, and ultimately ends up getting nominated for a bunch of things. And, and I don't know why that is. I don't know why un, or Unorthodox actually made it through other than it's just really great. Maybe there mm -hmm. is some sort of buzz or word of mouth stream How there. Though? In, How do you think? Like, like, if you feel like it, if you have the energy, you should write a piece, a column for the site that's like, what I learned from the Emmy nominations about what to potentially expect from the Oscar nominations. And, and just yeah. say that, like, like yeah. it's not always what you think is going to happen. And this is what worked with campaigning. And this is what didn't work. So how do you think that it spread? How do you think words spread about that one? show that was really good well i mean it was it was uh unorthodox was a netflix title so you know they do have the ability to push things up on their on their um on their platform um and you know it got a lot of critical acclaim of course there is no there are no guilds there's no guild season for the emmys right there's there's just one critics group the television critics association that announces awards and they rarely match with emmy nominations um Short answer, I mean, I, I have to do some more analysis on it. Short answer is I, I really don't know other than the fact that it is Netflix. And Netflix did do well um, this year. They had 160 nominations, which was 40 nominations higher than HBO's record previously. Um, I do think that's because HBO, I mean, Netflix just has a tremendous amount of content. Um, right. And they've got Lisa Tay back. Right. And they're just they have their own platform to push it. Like everybody has a Netflix account. Everybody sees every day, every time they log in, they see whatever Netflix wants you to see right there on your homepage. So they right. can guide you to whatever to watch. And, and that, I think that's probably why something like unorthodox, it got attention and people watched it and enough, obviously people watched it to appreciate it. But isn't it weird that, um, that, uh, the other one didn't do so well, um, on Netflix, even though it had a lot of buzz and, um, the, you know, the, the one about the rape victim who, um, yeah. Um, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. When, uh, yeah. And that's the one I would have thought would have gotten in there. I know we're not talking about the Emmys here, but that, that had been out long enough. Enough people had seen it. It had been through the globes. It had been through SAG and critics choice and, um, Tony Collette still got in, but the fact that um, that Merritt Weaver and uh, and um, Caitlin Deaver didn't get in was just really bizarre. Very, I would have yeah. expected that would have done really well, considering the buzz online about it. We always kind of felt like it might have been in trouble that it was in that fourth or fifth slot because it it there are other things that came up. Like if you look at the limited series race, you've got Watchmen, which obviously reintroduced the Tulsa 1921 or introduced the Tulsa 921 um, massacre to white America. Um, you know, that that 26 nominations there, that's that's a huge presence there. That's that's, you know, a socially conscious title. And you had little fires everywhere, um, which got, you know, a handful of nominations as well. So there are other things that it just felt like even though unbelievable does have a strong sort of woke content behind it, maybe it's not the right kind of woke at the time. I don't, hmm. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. That's um, perplexing. 
I, I can't figure that one out. But I remember how I watched Fleabag. Like Fleabag's rise was 100% driven by word of mouth. Like that had no, um, that wasn't like, you know, driven by anything else except people just kept saying, this is so good, you have to watch it. This is so good, you have to watch it. Because I remember people weren't really watching it at first. And then slowly you watched it rise and eventually just won everything because it was so good right. like that might be a good model for for what we're about to go through in terms of the oscar race because maybe without the um festivals without the parties without the gala without the publicity we're just going to be down to product and what mm. is going to be the flea bag like what's going to rise that people are going to be like that is so good and it's like parasite was a movie that also did. I mean, it wasn't just Bong Joon-ho showing up. It was also people, you know, I, I think that the reason, my own personal theory is the reason it didn't win any other awards was because people just didn't watch it because it was a foreign language film. And that once they did watch it, they were like, wow, that's so good. But it just took people time to talk about it and for that word of, of mouth to spread. So that is definitely going to be the case this year with the Oscar race. If it actually happens, it's going to be about word of mouth. And, and you're right that like, you're not going to be getting any bullshit nominations through with publicity. Right. It's just not happening. Like it's got to have to deliver. Um, even though I think unbelievable was good enough. Like, I don't think it was a bullshit publicity thing. Like I would have picked it for no. everything, you know? Yeah. And, and, to, to uh, correct myself, not to correct myself, but just to reiterate, it was nominated for Outstanding Limited Series. Um, right. It just didn't get those two critical performances, those key performances in there, which is the strangest thing about it. But which, if you look at which the... Which shows that it's the, not like one of the strongest ones heading in. No, it's not. It's it's yeah. probably number five, just looking at the, the rest of the um, contenders. I mean, but they're all very political contenders this year for limited series. You've got little fires everywhere. Miss America, um, unbelievable, unorthodox and watchmen. And it's, it's really watchmen's year. So for sure. Any watchmen's going to win everything. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but anyway. the key is to find out what film is going to be that thing that, that spurs everybody to watch it. Yeah. I kind of, you know, I, I, it's going to make it really hard on anyone trying to predict what's going on by our traditional means of predictions. All of our metrics are not going to be available to us, but I sort of, I like the excitement of the unknown and I like yeah. kind of being in the dark. And but for one thing, I'm not very good at predicting by using any method. And I just always go by my gut and I go by what I like. And so I, I it's kind of like being in the olden days of the Oscars. If, if, if we've been doing our, uh, a site or a podcast before the internet existed back in the 70s or something it's got it's going to be like that it's going to feel like that trying to handicap the oscars without having anything much to go on except just your own personal gut feeling and i kind of like that for you know and it may, it's going to be something exciting and something different to keep us distracted and keep our minds off the other you know problems we have to deal with yeah, yeah, I think the guilds are going to be crazy this year, crazier yeah, than for sure than, yeah. than the year where, um, you know, who knows? Like, who knows what's going to win? Like at this point, I mean, it's way too early, of course. But there's no festival circuit. There's no, there's no, you know, building of that. You can't hear the train coming down the track, basically. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's really strange. It's very surreal. But I'm kind of excited about digging into um, to this. I like a challenge and. Uh, you know, I'm just going to have to try to fight to have, you know, the, the voices heard. I'm, I'm just, I know for a fact, just kind of heading in that the, uh, that the, the, the conversation online is going to be very much about, you know, what is representative of this year, 
l- listen, like, I mean, this is kind of horrifying to, to sort of confront, but November is the election and mm. the Oscars aren't really going to be happening until after that. So it's sort of mm. like, how, you know, the election's going to really influence, I think, how this race goes because we're really going to start talking about Oscars not till January, which is a long way away. By now, if in an ordinary year right now would be the time we were just starting to talk about the Oscar race because we'd be heading into Telluride and Venice. And Venice is still happening. Um, and Toronto, both of them are still happening, but they're kind of weird versions of the festivals. They're not your usual thing. The, the big Oscar movies are really going to be start um, being delivered towards the end of the year, I think. Right. And then, and then people are going to start trying to build consensus. It's going to be nuts, nuts. But what we do know is that people like Kyle Buchanan and the film critics, we know that where their focus is going to be, like we know that heading in, it's going to be on, you know, people of color. It's going to be on women. It's going to be on, um, very politically oriented films that sort of scratch that itch of the need of the moment. Mm-hmm. That's where we know they're going to be. Yeah. Particularly if Trump wins again, then it's going to be angry films. It's going to be political, you know, um, rebellion films. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. I mean, if Biden wins, I think it's still going to be on that level because I feel like this conversation isn't over, you know? Right, because the same way when Obama won the Hurt Locker won that year. Yeah, it's It's definitely not over this conversation. There's a lot of anger. Like if they've they've actually gone to to the lengths of demanding that, films eligible for the Oscars have meet some sort of in, inclusive inclusivity barom, you know, uh, test or, and I'm not sure if that means in terms of who they hire or what the subject matter is. Nobody knows what the guidelines are. I think are. it's got, I personally, I think it's got to be below, but it's got to be behind the camera crew. You can't, you can't dictate what a movie's topic is going to be and who's going to star in movies. Maybe they do that, though. Maybe I, that I, is it. I can't imagine that they can think that they can do that because the artists don't work that way and studios don't work that way. And I did, but I do think that I that can, that it will have something to do with about hiring of, of um, crew and giving people a chance and a leg up and, a, and an entree into the industry. And I think that that's probably a good thing. I, I'm not worried. I'm not, that doesn't worry me too much. I'm, it doesn't but, worry me, but it's, it's, I'm telling you, it's going to influence how the race goes for sure. People are going to be really, um, att- because I know I've been doing this for fucking 20 years and I know that that's how it goes. Like it bubbles up, they address the problem and then they go back to the way things were before. Like that's how it always goes. And it doesn't really create real change. It just, it satisfies a moment of this is what we need right now. And then, you know, look at Halle Berry won Best Actress in 2001. And we thought that meant something, right? We thought that it meant that everything was, you know, equal now and and black women would be getting roles and they'd be winning Oscars. Nope, that one time, it's 2020, right? This might be the year that a black actress finally does win again, which would be great because, you know, it's been since 2001. But I'm just saying, like, it doesn't necessarily mean change. And part of the problem is that one thing people aren't addressing is that America is 60% white. And that means that, like, it's never going to be 50-50 interest. It's not going to be 50-50 
black and white. It's it's always going to be more white interest because you you know you watch movies to sort of reflect back your own life to you, and that's what you know people are going to be interested in stories that they can relate to. So it's it's never going to be totally equal on that that level. It has to be proportionate, I think, to the population, proportionate to the demographics. So and we should also just I mean I hate to be this way, but I mean I do want to make clear. America's like 60% white and 15% Latino and 50, 15% black. It's 13, it's just, yeah, 13% black. And then I think Latino is higher than that. I think it's like, okay. it might be 15 20, or 16 maybe. And, yeah. and uh-huh. the prediction is that in 50 years, it'll be majority Latino. Uh-huh. Yeah. What's interesting about the Academy's new inclusion or inclusivity rules is they were supposed to develop and publish the rules or the standards by July 31st of this year, and they have not done that yet. See, that's right. another thing why it doesn't really, I'm not, I, I, I'm not in the habit of worrying about things until I know what it is that I'm worried about. I don't worry about things in advance because it's just like, I mean, I have enough to worry about, but I worry about it when it happens, if it turns out to be bad, but I'm not going to be concerned or, th- or even think about it much until I know what it is. But another thing we know about the Academy is they do float these ideas sometimes and nothing really, sometimes nothing comes of it at all. I they, would imagine they that they got, and then they don't. I would imagine they got a lot of blowback on that. A lot of blowback from members about that thing that they put out. I'll bet you anything mm-hmm. the people were pissed off. Especially so, without, without explaining it. They, yeah. they, they've done that yeah. two or three times now. That's such a bad idea to say you're going to do something without explaining what it is what what the right. par, 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 parameters are of what you're going to do it 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 gives people the opportunity to imagine the worst yeah and i don't and, actually agree with it by the way i don't think that that should be i i love it that there's this what i think should happen is i think overall in the industry the film industry should have inclusion writers they should they should that should be policy across the whole industry but i don't think it should be it should depend on for instance, you're, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a weird way to police things. Like, you know, you're, when you're, when you're holding the Academy Awards, you're, you're trying to find the best movies, period. That's your job. It's, it's awarding Mm -hmm. the best films, right? And so I don't think it's right to put, some people have a hard time putting together a production at all, getting the money, hiring people, getting people to work for free. You know, sometimes it's, it's not within the studio system. Sometimes it's just a movie made on the fly and are you really going to punish that movie for not meeting those standards, even if they couldn't? Like, they're supposed to sit down and go, wait a second, we don't have three black people have to be hired, so we better, like, find three black people to be on our set so we can be eligible for the Oscars. Like, it's just, I don't think it's it's a, a very realistic. I think it would be nice if the whole industry thought that way and all the studios thought that way and hired that way, but I don't think they should mandate it for the Oscars. I think that just defeats the whole point of giving out awards for the greatest films of the year. You know, you're, you're judging art. You're not, you know, policing not, society. For me, I'm not so sure that it, there's a conflict between having a, a crew that's inclusive and whether or not to, I think a movie can be good no matter whether the crew is inclusive or not. I think it's easy enough to hire three black people and still have a good movie. I know, but if you're making a movie, you know, sometimes they're not always done through the studio system. Sometimes they're just done with a guy's cell phone, you know, or the guy who did Florida project and he didn't think that that was going to be necessarily headed for the Oscars you know and are they really going to get to the point where a movie like that and they're like wait a second we have to look at the wait a second this is 75% white people worked on this movie so no it's not going to be eligible 
And how are you going to police that in terms of film critics? How are film critics going to know which one is eligible and pick that movie? And, you know, it's like, and then the guild members, like, are they going to put some warning label on it and saying, this isn't inclusive, so don't pick this movie? And then the Academy voters get to that point. What if it's the greatest movie of the year and it's got that label on it? And then they can't pick it. Like, it's nuts. Like, it makes no sense at all to mandate it. It would be great if they could figure out a way to do it, but don't mandate it for the Oscars. Like, that's, to me, that's just really wrong. And I imagine it got a lot of pushback, and I think rightly so, in my personal opinion. Otherwise, you're, what are you doing? You know, you're not awarding the best films. You're, you're making it much more rigid and much more... Um, narrow of which films can be uh nominated and which films can i mean the idea is to pick the best movies period wherever they came from and you know yes you're right that people should have that idea in mind when they're hiring anyway you know but mm. to mandate it is just wrong i think that's my opinion and I'm sure a lot of other people agree with that. In fact, I don't think anybody other than like maybe five people on Twitter would think that it's right to mandate requirements for a film, you know. Um, well, it seems to me if you mandated it at the guilds, if the guilds took it on, you know, in terms of, of hiring practices and then the academy continue to diversify their membership, then it, the end result would be a more diverse offering. Well, the guilds can, like they have movies that are, you know, omitted from the writer's guild for not meeting mm -hmm. eligibility requirements, but the Academy can still nominate them because the Academy is right. not supposed to be held to those kind of things. They're supposed to be nominating things that are the best, period. So I think that... Um, well, the only reason that the guilds don't nominate m movies or like a with their writer's guild, for instance, is if you're, if you're not a guild member. That's the only reason. That right. They but if they put in the inclusion uh -huh. yeah. thing as an eligibility thing, then they could mandate that. But the Academy shouldn't do that. They don't have their only rules are they have rules, but the rules are, you know, it has to screen for a certain amount of time. And, you know, it's hard to make a movie. It's hard yeah, it to is. hire people. I just don't think it know? should be that hard to find three. I don't think it should be that hard to find five percent or whatever the percent that I come up with of, of diversity in a crew of a movie. I don't think that should be hard. Well, what if it's filmed in another country? You know, not a lot of people who are, you know, of a different ethnicity around that country in that town where they filmed the movie. Plus, it just gives Trump's America another another talking point against liberal Hollywood or, you know, cancel culture. just yeah. cancel culture. Exactly. I mean, it's just it's it feels uh, rigid. It feels McCarthy-ish. It feels weird to police art. Um, and when you're talking about rewarding quality of art. That's a whole different thing, you know. There's that I don't mind them doing that diverse, you know, that inclusion mandate, but it shouldn't be at the level of awarding films for for their quality. Who knows what it's ultimately going to end up being? I mean, it, it, they're just ultimately going to lose either way, because it's either not enough. And by announcing that they're going to set these standards, it's it's they've set a, a bar in many people's minds that you know, oh, it's going to have to be fifty percent, forty percent, whatever. And then, inevitably, it will never meet those those expectations, or it will be just ridiculous by the time it comes out because so many people have been speculating. It's about just going it to take one black production assistant to post on Twitter. Look, I'm the black person they hired to fill yep. this quota for the whole thing to be destroyed. So, what else do we have to say about best actor? All right, so I'll read you the the best actor contenders. Um, so here's uh, here's Awards Watch's 
predictions, right? Awards watch is Eric. So Eric's is number one, Delroy Lindo, Da Five Bloods. Number two, Anthony Hopkins, The Father. Number three, Tom Hanks, News of the World. Number four, Gary Oldman, Mank. Number five, Denzel Washington, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Number six, Bill Murray, On the Rocks. Number seven, Michael Fassbender, Next Goal Wins. Number eight, Matt Damon, Stillwater. Number nine, Trevante Rhodes, um, The United States versus Billie Holiday. Number 10, George Clooney, The Midnight Sky. And then he says, other contenders, Adam Driver, The Last Duel, Ansel Elgord, West Side Story, he puts it way down there, <laughs> Andrew Garfield, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Max Harwood, everybody's talking about Jamie, Tom Holland, Cherry, Joaquin Felix, come on, Phoenix, come on, come on, Jesse Plemons, I'm thinking of ending things. And then we move over to Ann Thompson, and she has front runners: Ben Affleck, The Way Back, Anthony Hopkins, The Father, Delroy Lindo, Da Five Bloods. And then her contenders are Timothy Chalamet in Dune, George Clooney, The Midnight Sky, Matt Damon, Stillwater, Ansel Elgort, West Side Story, Michael Fassbender, Next Goal Wins, Andrew Garfield, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Tom Hanks, News of the World, Bill Murray on the Rocks, Liam Neeson, Ordinary Love, Gary Oldman, Mank, Joaquin Phoenix, Come On, Come On, Tahar Rahim, Prisoner 760, John David Washington, Tenant. So she has Tenant, but... Um, Eric doesn't. The only reason she's putting Ben Affleck in there is because it's the, one of the only things she's seen this year. Oh, she must she, have seen The Father and, yeah, she, she's seen The Father, The Five Bloods, and The Way Back. So she's got those three as the front runners because they are the ones she's seen. Right. Yeah. So those are your actors. And, and if I was doing this as an Oscar watcher without thinking about um, – inclusion and diversity and I was not thinking on that I didn't have that hat on and I was just thinking about how in an ordinary year would I look for best actor and of course the way that I do it because I've been doing it so long is you just you always look at the big stars in the big movies right so my thing would be um I would say uh probably I would put Delroy Lindo in there because he's he's just got a lot of buzz right now but that's a that's a big ask having academies um voters sit through that movie I don't think that they're gonna like it very much but because it's too kind of long and um confusing for them it's not really the kind of movie that they like so I would go Delroy Lindo I would go Gary Oldman for Mank um I would do uh Tom Hanks News of the World maybe um and forget Ansel Elgort he's out uh, Bill Murray, probably, for, for On the Rocks, and um, John David Washington for Tenet. Uh, Denzel Washington, though, actually. Oh, my God, what if Denzel Washington and John David Washington are up together for for Best Actor, Father and Son? Wow. That would be really interesting. So, um, Anyway, that's the, those are the actors. I, I actually don't know how I, how I would do it. Anthony Hopkins is probably in there, but as you can see, it, it gets if you have to pick five, you know, things get real, and you have to like start cutting people, and, and then it's it's like sometimes it's the big actors like Anthony Hopkins who prevail, um, but or it's or it's the movie that people really love. But the fact is is that if people are gonna be watching it on at home on screener it is going to have to come down to like how good the performance is. Um, but of course they are going to be, um, you know, digging themselves out of that hole, you know, just so that people won't call them racist so that they are going to try to 
if they can make it as inclusive as possible for sure. He did get in for two popes, so he's writing that he's been he's fresh in their minds. Yeah, and he's a huge star. And if the movie really delivers, if it's really that good, then he's definitely in. You know, and people love Olivia Coleman. Right. I'm. I'm actually. Is that on streaming yet? The Father. No, not yet. Yeah, that's one that I would really be interested in seeing. Um, but Matt Damon and Stillwater. Probably not. <laughs> it's t- it should still be about the band from Almost I know, Famous. I know, I am a golden god. Yes. What about um, Michael Fassbender? What's that movie, Next Goal Wins? What's that about, do you know? Um, I think it's a sporting movie. Uh, Sounds like a soccer movie. Yeah, let me look it up real quick. Yeah. But basically, we're not going to be looking at the same paradigm as we usually do, which is best actors united with best picture. Um, that's usually how it goes. I mean, maybe it'll be that way this year. I don't know. We just don't even know how it's going to go. Next goal wins. So it's, it's done filming, which is my first criteria at this point. Um, it's Dutch American football coach, Thomas Rangan. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but anyway, is tasked with turning the American Samoa national team considered one of the weakest football teams in the world into an elite squad. Okay. I'm sorry. I started to glaze over as I was reading that. Oh God. No, really? (laughs) It's got um, Elizabeth Moss and Army Hammer in it. Let me see if I'm looking at the same one. Which? Th- no, there's a different one. There's this one that's not with Michael Fassbender. Oh. That's the one I'm looking at is Next Goal Wins from 2014. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, Taika is directing. This is Taika Waititi's oh, movie. Oh, okay, right, right. He is, it's his adaptation of the documentary. Isn't he doing another one, too? Different movie? Uh, I thought he was up for something else too, some big movie that he was doing. But this is yes, yeah, so Taika Waititi, right? So he's probably going to be um, nominated or very strongly considered for for best director category too for this. So I would say all the way around, this looks like a promising Oscar movie here, with Fassbender and Waititi. Yeah. Yeah, and it's done. <laughs> um, based on the 2014 British soccer documentary. Attempts a nearly impossible task of turning American Samoa. Uh, right. <laughs> Ryan, thing... are you still there? Did we lose you? No, I'm here. Sure. Of course. Did I send I'm, you into I'm... A, a funk? Not at all. No, I'm just trying. I don't have a lot. I, it's hard for me to know what to say. I mean, I, I, th- I find these lists interesting. I don't know how people are compiling them, except on the basis of name recognition. Yeah. I personally don't know very much about any of these movies, and we're all stopping to look up the, what the premise and the synopses are of the movies. I, it's, it's just hard for me to have any meaningful input. I mean, I think that it's, it's great to have a list of like the 20 top contenders, I can't rank them except like alphabetically because I know <laughs> right. nothing about any of the movies. You right. know? So what are they basing it on? I wonder these, these, I, yeah, I wonder too. I mean, uh, Clarence, like you said, some people have seen some of these movies, Yeah. but, 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 and so, and, but it's, but to just put the movies that you have seen at the top is another strange criteria. If you've only seen two or three movies, since you don't know whether the other movies that you haven't seen, you might like better or not. Mm. So, right. That's, well, that's, that's why yeah. Anne's list is strange because yeah. she does have Ben Affleck in there, but I think he's only there because it's a small window of potential candidates that she's seen mm-hmm. because she only yeah. lists things as front runners unless she's seen them. Right. But right. like Eric, I think Eric lists his just based on 
you know, buzz, gossip, whatever you want to call it, and and just how high profile he thinks the movies will be. And that's just that's completely subjective. Uh huh. It's so subjective and, and we have no idea because we don't even have an audience to, to, you know, like how it's like a movie like First Man or whatever, it opens and then the how the audience receives it matters, right? Like it, it right. made a difference with that movie. They're also leaving off um, Army Hammer and Rebecca, Netflix's um, reimagining of Rebecca. Right, and I see that they're yeah. leaving off Hillbilly Elegy or is that just women in that? I don't think there's a lead male performance in that. And what about Return uh, of no, the Sh Trial of the Chicago 7? So I've seen that at Gold Derby. Um, I think people are holding up on that because they don't know what performance rises to lead in it. I think Michael Keaton is one I've heard. But I would imagine, um, I don't know how big the role is, but um, isn't this the one that Sasha Baron Cohen is playing? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think he would rise to the top of the yeah. of the possibilities in that movie just because it seems like his casting. And we know how he is. We know he's a he's a scene stealer, right? right? No matter what he's in, no matter how big the role is. And so we'll right. just have. To, I mean, again, we'll have to wait and see. But I get the feeling that he's probably going to be prominent in that film. Who does he play again in that? Ab Abby Hoffman. See, yeah, again, that's a you know famous person, famous actor, famous character, famous person, famous real life person. Is he the one that the movie's about? Like, is it about? Um, is it about him? Like, uh, Abby Hoffman? Is he the main, or is it just an ensemble thing? It's probably an ensemble thing. Although I do see um, Eddie Redmayne plays Tom Hayden, and that seems to be maybe a focus. He's listed first in most of the articles. God, Eddie Redmayne's playing up. He sure got an upgrade. Like, Tom <laughs> Hayden is not that handsome. <laughs> he just got a major upgrade. That's not Maybe maybe Sasha Baron Cohen is a splashy supporting performance. Uh, <sighs> yeah. It's hard to... That's why I think nobody's listing that cast, because it's hard to say who... You know, because nobody knows... Nobody's read the screenplay. Nobody's seen it yet. So it's... um. It all depends on who the focus is. Because mm. mm. there's no doubt the performances will be good. I mean, Jeremy Strong is in it, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Mark Rylance. Yeah, that's a SAG ensemble frontrunner, if there ever was one. Yeah. So that's a that's a strong one. But we, yeah, you're right, we don't know. I need to like sit down and write an article about all of these movies and just sort of put them into perspective in terms of what, you know. The, the thing about that movie that, that just gives me pause is that I don't know that Aaron Sorkin's quite ready to be... Um, a great director yet and you really need a great director but um so he's only done molly's game right and uh so mm -hmm. he's he's pretty untested and, and in my experience people who are really great writers like that they always want to direct but it's not always the best um thing for them to direct because they're they're not hard enough on themselves as writers so they're not hard enough on the screenplay to be disciplined the way that you need to be, which is why Social Network is such a good movie because he was working with David Fincher and there was a discipline between the two of them, you know. Um, I think when you're a writer, it's like Woody Allen says, every, every writer is married to every word. You're mm -hmm. less willing to sort of condense and cut and edit um, to, to, to do the job of the director because you're, you're servicing your own screenplay, you know. Um, 
but it goes both ways, right? If you're a director, you're sometimes your writing isn't as strong because you're, you're just thinking like a director, like Jim Cameron, for instance. Um, you're, you're much more of a visual director and the, and the, the writing just sort of services that Aaron Sorkin's the other way around. Right. Um, so I, I always feel like when I'm watching a movie by a director who is actually a writer, that the, that I know that I'm not going to get the level of directing that I know is like the greatest thing that ever happened. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, very few of them I find can, can reach that level of like the people who are just really good directors versus people who are really good writers. Ideally you have a combination of the two of them working together and then you have like the really great, I think the greatest films when it's a collaboration of two different disciplines. When they are, when they can do both, they, they are, they, they vault into like among our favorite directors yes. of all time. When that happens, when they can do that, they are, they're, there's something really special, just like Woody Allen, just like the yeah. Coen brothers, just like right. Christopher Nolan. Brothers. And everybody wants to but, be that. Everybody yeah. wants to yeah, be like right. Ingmar Bergman, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. but they can't all be like that. But no, the, the difference is, is that these guys started out as filmmakers, Christopher Nolan, um, not Woody Allen. He's one who didn't, but, um, Christopher Nolan and the Coens, like they, there are writer directors, but they, they kind of started out as directors, you know, like they, they storyboarded and they, they want to be filmmakers, you know, um, mm -hmm. if they didn't, their discipline, like Aaron Sorkin's like really a playwright, you know, turned screenwriter, turned director. So it's two different disciplines, but maybe, you know, I'll keep my mind open, see how it goes. But that's the only thing about that that gives me pause. If it was anybody else directing it other than him, I would think I would put it at the top of my list. I wonder who he got to be his uh, DP, his uh, cinematographer. That's going to make a big difference yeah. sometimes it's, in, a, in a director. It, it's uh, uh, the guy that's, uh, I'm sorry, I, I forgot his name, but um, it's the guy that filmed, uh, uh, God, that's so stupid. Um, <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari, Thank you. It's okay. Papa. Uh, Papa, yeah, Papa, Papa Michael. Yeah, Papa Michael. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Faden or something like that. Yeah. There you go. Faden, Papa Michael. Yeah. Guy talked to him. He talked forever about um, them. And then he, he actually, I wanted to go back and listen to that interview because he talked about um, tr uh, this film uh, for about 10 minutes. And I, I didn't, we talked oh. about it, but I didn't include that in the interview because I was only doing interviews for uh, Ford versus Ferrari at the moment. So I, I didn't focus on it. But I want to go back and listen to what he had to say. Yeah. No, seriously, if you're, um, if you got Roger Deakins on your movie, like you're just mm. forget it. Like you're going to have a good movie because you've got this great DP. Um, Has the visual eye that, that, a, that a maybe a writer. Yes. And that doesn't always have. Right. Yeah. Who was the and, DP that, um, that everybody said directed Angelina Jolie's movie? Was it? <laughs> Deakins. Was it Deakins? Yeah. That's what I thought. It was yeah. Deakins. And they said the same thing about, um, I'll never forget when Dances with Wolves came out and it was uh, Kevin Costner. I, I forget who this, the, the cinematographer was, but everybody just said basically the cinematographer directed that movie. <laughs> I mean, everybody's going to say that, right? But that's what you need if you're not a, if you're not, a, if you're the Coens, like they have obviously <laughs> with Roger Deakins, it's the best case scenario, but they storyboard everything too. And they, um, they know exactly where they want that to go like they are directors absolutely but like if you're an actor and you just sort of know what you want this movie to look like you know the problem with unbroken was the writing like it i think it could have been a good movie but the script was terrible 
I don't know who wrote who wrote it, but that was the problem with that movie. Um, Richard Leva Gracie. Oh, it's written by the Coens and Richard Levin Gracie and William Nicholson. <laughs> I know. How do you get all those people and then have such a terrible screenplay? But it was. It was terrible. They did everything they could to make that a good movie. It just wasn't. It was really Thanks. nice talking with you guys. Yeah, you guys Hope you have yeah, sweet dreams. It. We pulled in a three-hour one. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Another three-hour one. But, um, <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. Have a good one. You too. Good night, everybody. Good, good night. night. Talk good to night. you later.